0: In just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to Sacred Symbols, the Internet's most
1: beloved PlayStation podcast. If you want to get our show three days earlier than free feeds and completely without ads, please consider supporting us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Your support on Patreon also allows you to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to our show. Gives you the ability to vote on the Let's Plays we do. Allows you access to exclusive podcasts and more. You can also buy Sacred Symbols merch by going to tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. I suspect you'd look damn sexy with our logo emblazoned across your chest, but that's just one man's opinion. Of course, we love our free feed listening audience, too. If you don't have the means or desire to show us support on Patreon or with merch, please consider leaving us a nice review on the podcast service of your choice and let friends and family know about sacred symbols. We, on the other hand, will keep making Tuesdays great again. But enough chatter. Have at you. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 51. Whoa. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Soviet mining expert Chris (laughs) Reagan. Yeah, it's me. I survived. You survived the Chernobyl disaster. Yeah, I just got really lucky, I guess. Yeah, you're in between all those uh, all that graphite. (sighs) Pretty crazy, man. Pretty Pretty hairy up there in the Ukraine, I'll tell you. Yeah. By the way, I grew up saying the Ukraine, and I even heard it learned as the Ukraine. But that's not proper, apparently. A few years ago, someone's like, "That's not the way it's supposed to be said." Why did everyone start calling it that? It's just Ukraine. It's just Ukraine. But yeah. People Do you, used so to don't call you remember
2: it- the Seinfeld episode where they're playing the game on the on the on the train, and mm-hmm. the guy from the Ukraine's like, e- "Ukraine is strong." <laughs> I, 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 and he
1: bit that, bashes the risk board. That's all I that's that's how I learned about Ukraine. That's that's all of the knowledge you have of Eastern European geography. Yeah, basically, Chris, we are in the afterglow of E3. We appreciate everyone listening to both of our episodes last week. Episode 50, of course, was our E3 episode. And we also did a special episode, special episode four called Opposition Research, all about Xbox. Really appreciate you guys. Patreon did really well. Appreciate your support over there. Patreon.com/slash Collins Last Stand. Early ad-free access to every episode of our show. The ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas, etc. We really appreciate you. Sacred Symbols is really starting to blow up. Yeah, means a lot. Starting to blow up like that nuclear reactor. Almost hey, blow. Hey, 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 hey! It melted down. It Meltdown. It's the China syndrome, as they used to call it. <laughs> now, Chris. Before we get into everything, we have some news to get into. Lots of new games came out this week. I also wanted to integrate plenty of from the audience. There are a few things that we need to correct because we were moving kind of quickly last week. Yeah, a lot of new info that new was being info, digested very quickly. Indeed. That is indeed true. But the first thing is just an unforced error that a lot of people have brought up to me. So last week, I know we were talking about Cyberpunk 2077, which is due out next year from CD Projekt. Really excited about that game. It looks really fun. Already kind of controversial with the predictable journalist type. Yeah, same old. But I had said in our write-up that this was their own IP, which I had always assumed it was, but it's not. They don't own this IP. So yeah. I thought that CD, CD Projekt doesn't own the Witcher IP. I thought that this was a way for them to kind of integrate some of their own ideas into something that they can control. They don't. Cyberpunk 2077 is actually adapted from a tabletop role-playing game from 1988, called Cyberpunk 2020, and I was reading about it, and apparently the dude who made it is still pretty active in making tabletop role playing games and is so, you know still bouncing around. That's kind of interesting. Yeah,
2: it's weird because I knew about that tabletop role playing game, but I also kind of assumed that cyberpunk was just kind of a generic like I, I kind of equated it to steampunk kind of like nobody yeah. owns steampunk. That's what I thought is, well, you know?
1: but I was wrong. Whoops. So there you guys go. Cyberpunk 2077. If you didn't know, it seems like a lot of you did is actually based on the 1988 tabletop role playing game Cyberpunk 2020, which apparently has multiple editions and you can still probably play it if you can find people nerdy enough. Maybe you have to go on like IRC or something like that. There was a guy when I went to college, he was a really nice guy. He lived with a friend of mine, Chris, in our freshman dorm. And he would go on Merc, M-I-R-C, which is an old internet relay chat thing. I think people probably still use it. And he would be in this Star Wars chat room. And it was like this live action LARPing Star Wars thing. So you'd have a headset on and we would just be be sitting there smoking a joint or playing games or whatever. And he'd be there being like, yes, commander, I'll get right on it. And like you would just hear him talk like every few minutes as they were doing this random thing. This is like what this guy did. And he was a very friendly guy. But I was like, well, that just showed me even what, 16 years ago now. There are nerd communities that will do just about anything. There there are nerd communities within nerd communities. They'll even dress up in animal. I don't know if you know anything about this. There are people that dress up as animals and fuck other people dressed up as animals. Oh, furries? Yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I could could believe that you've gone this long without hearing about it, to be honest. It's a little frightening, right? I usually don't judge people's kinks. You got to do what you got to do as long as no one's getting hurt. Everyone's consenting. But this desire to fuck dogmen is a little weird, to even for me, right? You want to fuck a dogman? You want to fuck a catman? I guess. I we're going to... Hey, let's go to the next thing, huh? All right. <laughs> Steve Korber wrote into us on Patreon. He has a little bit of a long write-up, but this is another important correction because we've been talking about Stadia... Google's upcoming, for people that don't know, Google's upcoming platform, their streaming platform. We've Mm -hmm. been talking about it a little inaccurately, or at least what I would say is flippantly. So Steve Korba wrote in, Chris, with some corrections. He says, hey, guys, long time listener, first time writing in. I've been listening to both of you talk about Stadia and think there might be some misinformation. I think Chris keeps saying it will cost money to play, period. I think this is false. Next year, they are launching a Stadia base membership, which is free. And all you do is buy games to play them. The Stadia Pro membership works like a PS Plus membership where you get free games and better discounts. Also, Colin, you had said 10 Mbps results in 30 frames. I believe this is also false. I think they are at 60 frames as long as you meet the 10 Mbps minimum. By the way, I should throw in here. This is me now again, guys, before I finish Steve's letter. I had said that my internet was around there. I looked and its uh, I thought that that was true. That's also inaccurate. My internet's faster than that. Everything's inaccurate. <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. well I agree 720p is practically the stone age in 2019, I just wanted to make sure all the facts about it were straight. I'm also skeptical about how about it like you both are, but I am very interested in how it will play. I am shocked. L.A. has such bad Internet speeds. Now, this is true. L.A.'s Internet is horrible. It's horrendous. It's the worst Internet I've ever had living anywhere. I live in rural Ontario, Canada, in a town of about 5000 people, and I have fiber connection with up to one gig, one G.P.P.S. speeds, I guess is what, yeah. what, what does that have to be like 20 times? That's, that's than pretty get? good. Must be nice. My parents live on a farm 20 minutes away and they get 50 mbps using a technology called WiMAX. And that's kind of what I get. Anyway, just felt like writing in As always keep up the great work. That's good stuff. We've been talking a little bit about Stadia in an inaccurate way, I think. That's true. So I wanted to correct the record. This is not a Stadia podcast, of course, but I wanted to throw that out there. By the way, speaking of frame rates, did you see, were you here when we were talking? No, you weren't, I don't think. So Dustin, our editor, was here for E3 with his own company and... We were hanging out here a couple days ago, and we were talking about The Witcher 3 coming to, to Switch. Did you know that The Witcher 3 is running at, like, below 720 on, on Switch or something that like that? That doesn't surprise me at all. I can't believe that.
2: It's a Switch, though. I mean, like, people people don't seem to be bothered by it yeah. who you own Switches, because it's like, hey, of course it's going to be worse, but the fact that you can play it at all is pretty amazing.
1: Is that true? Can it really be below 720?
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of games that came out on the 360 period or, like, the PS3 period were running at sub... 720 well that's not
1: surprising yeah because those machines are ancient i don't know i just heard, i was seeing a lot of people make fun of the Witcher port. yet another port coming to nintendo switch yeah enjoy at least it's a good port yeah it's, which it's, is a pretty pretty uh pretty great game hey apparently man, i don't know if you enjoy your switch more power to you Aaron plays pokemon go or no pokemon let's go on switch yeah that's pretty much the only switch playing going on in this i house. could
2: not play i could not play witcher 3 at that at that frame rate or at that that resolution. 15 I don't think I could frames
1: do it. a second at 480i. I got
2: Doom because I thought it'd be like, hey, I can play Doom on the go. That's awesome. But it's just like it just reminds me of how much worse it is on, on the Switch compared to literally anything else. Are you ready for the corrections to continue? Yes.
1: Tanner Brandt wrote in and said, hey, boys, just a quick correction. Tales of Berseria was the first game in the series without Baba Hideo Baba at the helm. It, it was great. And the last Remnant Remaster came out on PS4 last year. So These are two more errors that we need to correct. Or these are my errors now. I can't blame Chris for this. We can blame Chris for the Stadia errors. That's fine. And I'll be happy to do that. But I'm going to take the credit for these errors. Now, I didn't believe Tanner when he wrote in. So last week we were talking about Hideo Baba, who was the longtime Tales producer, went to Square Enix, started Studio Estolia, was going to make a new AAA RPG. Then that got all shut down and now he's gone. No one knows where Hideo Baba is. That's probably the last part's probably not true. Someone probably knows where Hideo (laughs) Hideo Baba is. I'm sure there's at least one He's with his family or something. But... Tales of Berseria came out in 2016, which is after Baba left, I think. So this all makes sense. Anyway, I looked. You're absolutely right. 2015, Tales of Zestiria was his last produced game. And you're also right. The Last Remnant came out last year, 2018, on PlayStation 4 in December. So there you go. All right. Now let's get out of all of this and get into some inquiries before we get into the news and the game are playing. Will TheLander, or TheyLander, wrote in and said, What do you think about this year's E3 being boring for most people? I think it was due to holding all the games for next gen, whatever that means at this point. Chris, how do you feel basking in the afterglow of E3 2019? I think overall I was
2: pretty happy, but I could see that this is very much the year before the big one. You know, this is very much an off year, or like a year where a lot of things are being held off because there's a lot that can't be said. Yet about the next gen and like how games will run and how they'll function and like what exactly will be what exactly will be present on those platforms. It does seem kind of like one of those mystery years. I think that's probably the main reason why Sony didn't show up. To be honest, I don't think it really has anything to do with them thinking E3 is dead. Although that's probably true, but I do think it (laughs) comes down mostly to the
1: fact that yeah, it's an off year. We don't have anything yet. Sorry. I think so too. I think that you have to stay in a holding pattern. First of all, observers of E3 will note that E3 typically moves in three year cycles. If you read about E3s, there are like really big E3s every three years or so. Mm -hmm. And I think next year's E3 is going to be another one of those years, similar to 2013 and so on and so forth. It kind of works roughly in that cadence, give or take a year. So I was also quite pleased with it. But I did hear from multiple people that came through the house or the apartment and that I was talking to and went to dinner with a few people, including my uh, good friend Gio Corsi, who's the head of Sony second party. We had a really nice dinner while he was out here. But what I was hearing from others was that it was boring and -hmm. that it was pretty empty and that ESA, the runners of E3, said that 3,000 fewer people were there this year than last year, but that it felt like way fewer than that. And I think the reason is, is because publishers and companies buy their badges en masse and then people just don't show up or just don't go. So I think that that's kind of what's happening But I don't know what people expected either. Like, what? think about it. Sony has nothing that they didn't already announce the year before. Yeah. So think about how bad E3 was for Sony last year from that point of view. They've announced nothing that is of any consequence since then. You have like maybe Medieval and a few of these other games like Ready Set Heroes and stuff. But other than that, there's not much doing. Pretty barren. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of get excited by the silence personally. Yeah. I don't know. I was happy. I was, you know, Chris... I don't say I, I want to say I was happy because I'm never happy, <laughs> but I will say I was pleased. Yeah, that's fair. Dwayne Hankins wrote in and said, Colin and Chris, now that we're a few days removed from E3. Oh, actually, we are sorry, Dwayne. We already covered this, I guess, because we accidentally integrated your question. In. Oh, because he asked, how do we think about Sony skipping out on the show as well? Oh, Dwayne, you had a good question, but we accidentally answered it already. We appreciate you anyway. This allows us to move on to Samuel Mills. Who said, hello, gentlemen, hope you are both doing well. My question is in regards to many people's negative reactions to Microsoft's E3 showing. I tend to agree with your assessment, and I think they did exactly what they needed to do. While it would have been nice to see gameplay for the next Halo and maybe a price point for Scarlet, I frankly wasn't expecting it. Do you think that people's expectations for E3 are set way too high? Or is it just that Microsoft can do no right in their eyes? I realize this is a PlayStation podcast, but I've noticed some PlayStation fans are very quick to dismiss Microsoft. I'm not trying to stir the pot with the idiocy of console wars. But I just like to call balls and strikes when I see them, which is what you gentlemen always do. Hope this all made sense. Good day to you. Feel free to ignore this if it's too long or leave out some of it. Too late. I've read the entire thing. And indeed, I don't like calling strikes, but I like calling balls. You understand what I'm saying? No. Balls. I don't like that. I don't like this conversation. I don't like this exchange. Chris, Microsoft at E3. Again, we did oppo research. We We did did. our own. And again, that's a joking term. We don't look at it like (laughs) that. Now, a lot of people reached out to me, and I think you saw too, Chris, on Twitter and uh, in other places. People were two things, either com- in complete disagreement with us that Microsoft did well at E3 or did what they needed to do. I think you're a little less high on them than I was, but also that people kind of do perpetuate what Samuel was calling the console war here. Mm-hmm. I do feel he says something really important here, which I think is he says, do you think people's expectations for E3 are set way too high? Or is it just that Microsoft can do no right in their eyes? I think both of those things are true. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of people that look at Xbox, and it doesn't matter if they sh- if they showed Halo gameplay, someone you would have found something else to complain about. They obviously can't price the Scarlet yet because the Scarlet's probably not even fully built mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. So, what do you think about that? Do you are, do you agree with me? I I really do want to hit this drum that I feel like people are just being too hard on Microsoft. Like, I don't get it.
2: I, I just, I really, I've said this before, but I just think it's the younger brother syndrome. I think they're like the newest kid on the block, even though they've been around for a while relative to like a lot of other things, and they've been around for a while in literal years. They are still the new kids on the block as far as everybody in the gaming sphere is concerned. So I feel like Nintendo gets the most leeway because they've been around the longest time. They could show literally, they could show Samus Aran doing a, a Fortnite dance and it would get it, people would flip the fuck out about it. It it would win like the best of E3. Sony is like in that middle ground where like they can do kind of a lot right and even if they fuck up it's kind of like ah well whatever, you know. It's it's whatever. It's it's PlayStation. Remember remember Metal Gear? <laughs> <laughs> and Xbox is like that last one where it's like hey Halo's great, but that's it. You know, there's still the the new people, they're still trying to figure stuff out. They're doing all these weird they're really, especially now that they're focusing more on, like, you know, uh, the user experience of being a part of Xbox as opposed to just, like, what you're getting on it. Uh, the the whole Game Pass for PC and all that stuff is, like, these are all great things, but I don't think they necessarily translate to... Excitement in the way that we normally consider E3 excitement
1: to be indeed. It's just complicated because like you're saying It's an optical game so much. So as it is also a literal game, mm-hmm. right? Like they have literal products They're competing on a literal market. There are only so many people that can buy these products So it is a corporate exercise But from this uh, this is why I don't like E3 because I don't think it's an effective way for these companies to message anything and like you said, mm-hmm. Nintendo always going to win in people's eyes and Sony's always going to win in other people's eyes and Xbox can't do right or whatever. I'm a little disappointed in the rampant fanboyism that always <laughs> surrounds this stuff. Now, I know yeah. dude, I've been in the gaming industry since 2002. I'm not new to this. Yeah, but I just kind of feel like we got to grow out of this. Like we're getting to a point where things are becoming more integrated and that's a positive. So. This abusive shit that goes on online with fans of different consoles and all this yeah, stuff. I, I think yeah. it's somewhat silly. It is annoying. Straw Hat Ninja wrote in, germane to your question, Chris. He says, hello, gentlemen. I was just wondering if I could get some quick thoughts on the Nintendo Direct from you guys. Is Chris excited for Breath of the Wild 2? And how surprised are both of you that Banjo is in Smash now? I
2: called that, by the way. What'd you call? Banjo being in Smash. Did you really? Yeah. On this show? I don't know about on this show, but I tweeted about it before, it, like way before it happened. Oh, interesting. Did yeah. you
1: make sure to bubble that tweet up? I did. I brought it up. Excellent. So you have to rub that kind of stuff in people's faces (laughs) when it happens. Now, I was going to say, I was going to pat myself on the back. I feel like you have more of a reason, though, if you actually literally predicted this. It was only a week or two ago that I was going on and on about how Sony has nothing to lose by letting its characters in the Smash Brothers. Mm. Right. And this is a great example of there being nothing to lose. Nothing. Right. Like Banjo. And so for people that don't know, Banjo-Kazooie was an N64 game made by Rare. Rare was then sold with their IP to Microsoft and became an Xbox developer. Now, this was a big deal back in the day for the younger gamers. This was like big deal because Rare was in bed with Nintendo since the NES days. They made a shit ton of games. Yeah. Over the years. They probably made the best games on that, on that console, honestly. On N64? Yeah. They were definitely one of the, be- the premier, you know, with Jet Force, Gemini and a bunch of other games. They put a lot of stuff out there on N64. So this is a really nice full circle story if you're a Nintendo fan, but also just another example of like, what do you have to lose? Why isn't Kratos in there? Why Why isn't someone... Now, if Nintendo's like, fuck you guys, we don't want anything to do with you, that's one thing. But <laughs> yeah. if the reason is the other way, if the reason is that Sony's not approaching them and being like, what can we do? Why can't we be in your game? Can we give you Sackboy? Can we give you uh, Ratchet? Like, who who makes sense in this game? Sackboy would be cool. Yeah Sackboy's, super, yeah, Sackboy's a super cool character. Like, I love that character. So, you know, and obviously you can put Drake in there, you can put whatever, but you really want your cartoon characters in there. And so I really hope that we're going to see something like that. And Ratchet, I think, is actually a really great target because, you know, we haven't... Ra- There's going to be more Ratchet & Clank, obviously. The 2016 Ratchet & Clank was a big success. Ratchet & Clank is going to be part of PlayStation's future. That would be a really nice character to get in there. Maybe a little bit more relevant than Sackboy, who hasn't seen a new game from Media Molecule since 2011 that, and a new little big Planet. It's about that's four years true, ago. That's true, yeah. So I really was very... excited. That was the most exciting thing out of that direct for me because I was like, this is great. Like, this is so... This is so cool because now we're getting, Yeah. Sony's really the only player not involved now. Even Konami has a fucking character in it. And everyone <laughs> hates Konami.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, the Nintendo Direct was, I was happy with it, I guess. I don't know. I like, I, I'm really only interested in Zelda. Really. That's really about it. I don't know. Nintendo just doesn't really facilitate anything that I particularly am interested in anymore. I like Banjo though. It's
1: nice to see him in there. Yeah, it's cool. It just fits very thematically. Thematically, it fits perfectly. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, as far as the direct, I didn't watch it. I just went through the news and looked. That's yeah. Zelda games many years out, I'm sure. And oh, yeah, several. Oh, so we're going to talk about some of the games that were announced because they're coming to PS4 as well. But I think Nintendo, again, did what they had to do. Nintendo's in the driver's seat right now. So they're in good. They're in great shape. Now, I think that Nintendo's fortunes could change, not in a dramatically bad way, but I think that once the new consoles are out, they're really powerful. Ports are going to become impossible. That's probably going to really.
2: That's going to be a problem. for Switch sure. down.
1: <laughs> for sure. That's going to be a problem. But that's why I really am convinced that they're going to make another one. Yeah, like they're, yeah, they're going they to immediately. They probably are going to iterate on this as quickly as they can. Because they have something really special here with Switch. I think. The final pre what games we're playing. We've been going for a while now already. So I'm sorry that we're taking so long. But shit. Fucking deal with it. It's my show. <laughs> Jeremy Miller wrote in. Said, "Hi there, Colin and Chris. My nephew is turning five soon, and I've always had an itch to get him into video games. My question is, what age do you think you should introduce gaming to a child, and what consoles would be a good start? My idea is the PSP, as the Vita is too big for his hands, and there is an extensive library of games as well as a backlog of PS1 games. It also means his parents don't need to worry about setting up a console to the TV. Best wishes from New Zealand, which is a country next to Australia. It is. That is. (laughs) I'm very aware now. Now, Chris, we're not fathers." No. I am a uncle to six children. It's also been a long time since I've been a child. Yeah, it's been so. a very long time. Longer for me than for you, but it's been a while. I like the idea. For, so first of all, it's a tradition in my family, especially for my three nephews that are my one of my sister's kids. I bought them a PS3 one. You know, I bought brought them a PS4. I bought them a Switch. They're all ages 12. Right now, 12 to... Five or six, I guess. Yeah. So they were really young when I was buying them the stuff, and I integrated them quickly. and They and they understand video games; they know how to play them. It's you know, not that this is an important skill set, of course, but they know how to play. They understand video games; like they they're into it. They lo- so I think introducing them to it to them early is is good. Now I don't think PSP is a good idea, and the reason I think that is because go look at your PSP sometime. Everyone out there, if you have a PSP somewhere hidden, go go look at it. Listen, I love the PSP. Don't shit talk the PSP, okay? Do you know what I'm saying about the PSP, though? The batteries are fucked up in all PSPs. They <laughs> yeah, are. but, you If know. you go, so we had a dr- we had a drawer full of PSPs at, actually at my desk at IGN that we hadn't touched in, like, a long time, and then I opened it and, like, went through them, and all of the battery packs were exploded, so the back of the PSP case was, like, popped off of every one of them. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is, is if you think you have a PSP put away that's in working shape, you might not just, just throw it out there unless you had the foresight to get rid of that battery. Probably accurate. I was when I my PSP is all fucked up because of it. So I miss my PSP, man. Vita's better than the PSP, so it doesn't really matter. Eh. Chris, what are we playing now? I'll go first just because I just want to throw this out there. I'm still playing Felseal, Fel-Seal Arbiter's Mark, the Final yeah. Fantasy Tactics game. I only played about 10 hours last week. It was obviously a busy week. I put up a Let's Play for the game today on YouTube on the Collins Left Stand SideQuest YouTube channel. So you can go look at it. I called it Why It Is My Game of the Year so far. I brought you through a battle. I showed you the menus, all that kind of stuff. So you can go check it out. Highly recommended. Chris, what have you been playing? So I've been going through Borderlands 2
2: uh, just to get myself acclimated with that entire universe. Again, it's been a while since I've finished... I don't even think I finished Borderlands 2 back in the day. I didn't either. So uh, I'm trying to get through that again. Uh, But I actually recently started playing World War Z, which was that most recent, like, I guess it's a a recent zombie game again. It's cool, I guess. It's basically Left 4 Dead third person, like Saber I, Interactive?
1: I, right? I believe so, yeah. yeah.
2: It's uh I I'm playing it on my Epic account, which is a, it's a press account, so it's free, just letting you know. I got that for free. But uh it's pretty it's pretty solid. It's a, it's basically Left 4 Dead in third person, which is exactly kind of the thing that I was looking for. It's not too it's not so deep that you get in the weeds uh, worrying about attachments and stats, but it's uh it's not so shallow that it feels like you know just this kind of mobile game kind of experience it's a nice uh, it's a nice little game to turn on every once in a while and shoot some zombies and it feels good it's a single player game it's like left 4 dead so you can play it by yourself mm. or you can play it with other people i think there's a versus mode where you can play as the zombies i'm not super sure because i haven't tried it out yet but uh, i did a couple couple missions uh they're, they're it's fun it's nice it's simple you know
1: you start it up you play you're done it's good cool Saber Interactive, who I think developed that game, we talked about them a few months ago because they actually yeah. had approached Sony to make the multiplayer component of Days Gone, which Sony turned them down, obviously. Right. But World War Z is getting actually good reviews, I think. So Sony it's not have, bad at all. It's better. Yeah. Th-
2: it's better than it has any right to be, considering what it is. It's a movie based tie in game, kind yeah. of.
1: It's yeah, based what is off it? a it's movie. A, yeah, it's a it's a game based on a movie based on a book. Yeah, <laughs> which is
2: like a disaster that's like the the most red flags you could possibly have i i have the book but i
1: couldn't get through it it's it's written in journal form which i hate i hate that yeah shit. it's like an anthology kind of yeah i'm not into it brad yeah. pitt's in the movie right brad pitt i don't know who cares fair enough chris <laughs> let's get into the news we have a few things to talk about this week it doesn't seem super heavy which it's is not good. super heavy but it's heavy enough yeah number one one of the biggest games revealed at E3 2019 was Square Enix's Avengers game, which has long been in development at developer Crystal Dynamics. Well, we have a few new points as well as points of clarification to go over. For starters, while the publisher made clear that the game would have no loot boxes, this has been confused with it having no microtransactions at all, which it does. According to IGN, the game will at the very least include customizable outfits, "Quote, but there is nothing that affects the gameplay, End quote. according to Crystal. The game's rollout was also incredibly confusing, seeming to indicate that it was a multiplayer-centric game as a service. Now, I want to talk about this, but be- I'll talk about this later. I talked to multiple people that had no fucking idea what this game was. So yeah. this isn't a me problem. This is an everyone's problem. <laughs> it's confusing. Including people in the industry that I was like, I was like, oh well, we'll get into this, but I was I was so confused by this. However, this is also untrue. It's not a game as a service. IGN reports that the game actually plays out kind of like an uncharted or Tomb Raider game in some respect, with prescripted events peppered in between periods of intense gameplay. This isn't a huge surprise, considering Crystal Dynamics pedigree-making Tomb Raider games, but the game isn't playable in multiplayer. Only optional side missions are, and those missions are only playable online, not locally. And finally, perhaps the biggest point of conversation of all surrounding Square Enix's Avengers is the appearance of the main characters, who kind of resemble cheap knockoff versions of their movie counterparts for obvious licensing and legal reasons. Once again, according to IGN, while developer Crystal Dynamics does hear the complaints of players, quote, there are currently no plans to change our character designs, end quote, according to the game's creative director, Sean Escaig. So that's a lot. Yeah. Now I guess it, to be fair, I get we, we did record right after, so we didn't have the clarification, but that struck me as a game as a service when they were showing it. There was nothing about that sequence at the Square Enix conference that indicated that was a single player game.
2: It seemed very bizarre. It seemed like a multiplayer game focused game. It seemed like sure. it
1: seemed like it was gonna be like Anthem or, or Destiny. I mean, that's what it looked like. <laughs> like that's My, the way it looked like to me. I know this is a weird
2: comparison given that I just mentioned it, but it almost struck me as like kind of like, oh, this is like a a cinematic almost left for dead kind of thing where like you play with other people and they inhabit different characters and you go through like a single player kind of vignette playing with other characters and they have their own sequences that's what it seemed like but i guess it's a single player game with
1: multiplayer side missions yeah so there are side missions that kind of peel off the main quest that you can optionally do and then you can jump online so it's a single player play game And then you
2: find these side quests and then you're put into a matchmaking queue. I guess. And then you match with other players to do those side
1: missions. Got a bad feeling about this game. It's confusing. Yeah, it's very confusing. And like I told you, I talked to multiple people, including someone well-connected at a big publisher who was like, I don't know
2: what that, like, I have no idea what that was. I know people who saw the game and who think it looks cool, but still don't
1: know what the hell it is. So, I mean. It's clear now why Square Enix was so hesitant to show it. Because they don't know what the fuck it is. And also because it doesn't look very good. And I, I, I'm i kind of interested in if it was in development. I mean, that game was in development and has been in development forever. I want to say that I was still at IGN when I first heard about this game. So this is a game that was that has been kind of marinating for a while. At least in talks for a long time. Right. Yeah. In pre-production, whatever the case might be. So I want it to do good. I like Square Enix and I like Crystal Dynamics. And even if I didn't, I'd still want the game to do good. But yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like this game has some issues, but I also don't know if it really matters because I think honest, Avengers is so big.
2: Yeah, I think it'll probably do fine. Honestly, I don't think it's going to be like a huge colossal failure, but I do think it's going to be like one of the most confusing games that until I feel like I won't know what it is until I play it. Yeah. You know, it feels like one of those kinds of things,
1: well, which you'll, is not the best. You'll apparently play it next year. We'll see.
0: in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today, or visit angie.com. dot com. That's A N G I dot com.
1: Number two, during Nintendo's E three press conference, a remake of the old school action RPG Trials of Mana was revealed. While it's obviously coming to Switch, it's also coming to PS4. Trials of Mana originally came to Super Famicom in 1995 and is known as Seiken Densetsu 3 in Japan. It was never released outside of Japan, nor was it ever re-released outside of lone Switch collections on the franchise for the franchise, which was only released in Japan. So in other words, this game was stranded on Super Famicom and then it only came to Switch in Japan only last year. So this is a pretty interesting thing. People had to play fan translations of this for a long time. The remake of the game is slated for launch on PlayStation 4 sometime in the beginning of 2020. The Mana series began back in 1991 with the release of the Game Boy game known as Final Fantasy Adventure or Seiken Setsu in Japan. Its sequel, 1993's Seiken Setsu 2, is perhaps the most beloved game in the franchise known in the the West as SNES's Secret of Mana. Nerds. So that's a pretty big, that's a nerd announcement, but it's a pretty big nerd announcement. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Number three, just in case you aren't being bombarded with enough game subscription services, Square Enix may just be readying one of its own. Jesus Christ. Word comes by way of Game Informer, which also notes that Square Enix would ultimately like to bring all of its games from all eras to as many digital platforms as possible. Quote, we're working on that in a variety of ways. That is a request that we hear often. As far as our major titles go, most of those, we still have variations out that you can play now. The more classic titles that you might have played on NES, we are still working hard to make it so you can play those. We actually have launched a dedicated project internally to port those. So we are working to make them available on a variety of platforms. Certainly down the road, we would like to see that on a subscription or streaming service. So we're exploring the possibility of creating a dedicated channel for ourselves. I think everyone is going in that direction, so we want to be proactive in considering those options. We still don't know if it would be a subscription service or an exclusive download service or what form it might take, but we do want to leverage our catalog. Ellipsis. Now, this is, this is fucking crazy. She, uh, Nicole Wallace, I think her name is, or Kimberly Wallace, I think Nicole Wallace is a CBS person. Kimberly Wallace, a game informer, then asked about some of the missing games. This is a fucking crazy quote. He says, quote, I'm embarrassed to admit it, But in some cases, we don't know where the code is anymore. It's very hard to find them sometimes because back in the day, you just made them and put them out there and you were done. You didn't think of how you were going to sell them down the road. Sometimes customers ask, why haven't you released the game yet? And the truth of the matter is it's because we don't know where it has gone, end quote. That doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me, but this is the thing that's weird to me because I first heard this about 15 years ago with Capcom where they had announced that they were going to bring the Game Boy, the five Game Boy Mega Man games, the PS2, GameCube, and Xbox. And then they released a statement saying that they didn't know where the ROMs were. But my whole thing was, go on the fucking internet yeah. and grab it. Like, I don't understand. This is the big confusing than me. Why do you need the source code? Don't you have... People dump ROMs and then fucking manipulate the shit out of them. And they have no idea what they're doing. So I-, I, I guess I'm a little confused by this particular excuse. Why can't you mirror a, an existing port of the game somewhere yeah, else. I wonder what the legality is of ripping a ROM
2: of something that's not legally, you know what I mean? Like I if, if, you made, if you made a game and then it gets stolen and put on the internet, whose
1: work is that? Right, but, but even then, Chris, wouldn't they just be able to go and say like, hey, we have a fucking case of unopened Final Fantasy Seven copies from 1997 or Final Fantasy Eight from 1998. Go open one of them and rip it. No, yeah, yeah for sure. Like, yeah. Wait, just, I guess I'm just confused. It is. It Certainly is you'd want to work in the original with the original tools and the original code. It's definitely more of a that
2: seems like more of an NES problem or like a cartridge problem than a, you know, yeah, than a,
1: a CD problem. It's very strange. Very odd. Because I, I re- I'll never forget that because we still have not gotten the re-releases of the Mega Man Game Boy games because and they're great because Capcom apparently doesn't know where they are, but I can just go online and find 7000 ROMs that are running perfectly <laughs> yeah. of those games. <laughs> So yeah, I'm a little confused nonetheless. Very weird. Number four. When Final Fantasy VII Remake's first part launches early next year, you'll have the option to buy the so-called first class edition, which is an edition so first class. It costs $329.99. Jesus fucking, what, what? It can be pre-ordered right this very moment. This version of Final Fantasy VII Remake comes with the game, a steelbook case, an art book, a soundtrack, special DLC, and perhaps most pivotally, Cloud Strife riding his iconic motorcycle. Website Polygon reports that a so-called Deluxe Edition is also available, which is everything just listed, sans cloud and motorcycle. That only costs $79.99. Square Enix has since confirmed that the first part of the game itself will be two discs, and Final Fantasy VII Remake's subsequent, subsequent parts, should they ever see the light of day, will also be as long. Unfortunately, the publisher still won't comment on how many so-called games the remake will span, other than to confirm that the second portion of the remake is currently in pre-production of some kind. So I was reading conflicting reports from E3... They had said at one point that because they know what they're doing now, that the next part will be quicker. And then they came in and said, no, it won't, it won't be quicker. <laughs> so I guess they
2: do have the engine in place and they have the character models in place and they have the animations in place and they have all that stuff ready to go, I suppose. So it's it's probably going, it, it probably is going to be quicker, right? I would imagine. It has to be almost.
1: Yeah, I think some of it will be because if they're only showing Midgar, so that's that's only a very limited part of the game, you are only ve- you only have, what, four playable characters at that point? Tifa, Aris... Cloud and Barrett, so they're going to have to if they go if they leave Midgar now they're going to have to create all these new environments all these new places they're going to have to work in Sid and Yuffie and Vincent mm-hmm. and Kate Sith and all these so I don't know that's true yeah I suppose I, I, I guess hmm. I wish that instead of them promising more they just said like let's see how this one does this is going to tell the story about the about Avalanche and the terrorist organization which is what Final Fantasy 7 is about in the beginning And then if people like it, then we'll work on the next part of the game. I think that that's a little more responsible. Now you're promising, like, I just, Square Enix doesn't know what the fuck it's doing with its, with the way it talks, you know? Yeah, that's 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 also
2: one hell of a fucking special edition.
1: I'll say. Evan Smith wrote into us on Patreon. Remember, you can support us on Patreon.com slash CollinsLastStand to hear your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas on our show. He said, yo, hope all is well. I'm a diehard Final Fantasy VII fan. The reveal of the game at the Square Conference put my fears to bed. I was honestly scared that some hokey ad- ad- adaption of my favorite game was going to be shown off, but alas, they really seem to have captured the spirit and vibe. My question is, do you have any guesses on what the long term plan might be for the game part two on PS5 so it can handle the open world? Maybe lots of love to you both. Well, part two is if it if it ever happens, it's definitely going to be on PS5. They had said something else weird too, where and this is, again, the confusion about cross gen, Chris, is someone from Square had said something of like they're working on the game. So it works on both PS4 and PS5. And I'm like, guys, of course, it's going to work on both PS4 and PS5. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's going to be the way it moves. This is not a story anymore. Yeah. But as far as what I expect out of it, I expect this game is going to do very well. Yeah. But I really do wonder if they set themselves up in such a strange way where, like, you're going to play Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1. What are you going to wait? Three years or something? Four years for the next one? Probably, like, yeah, probably four years. I don't know. It seems like a weird thing for me. I would have rather them just have remade the game true to the game. Yeah. And then they would have been able to get it all out, you know? Because I just have this strange feeling. If we finish this adventure, it's going to be 10 years from now. Are you kidding me? But what an adventure it will be. If Final Fantasy VII is good, but it, and it's it's important, but it's not that good. That it, <laughs> that it, we need to have this going on. Well, maybe on. you could just wait 10 years and play the complete edition. <laughs> I won't be able to resist that. You know that. <laughs> Number five. It appears that Fantasy Star Online 2 will eventually come to Western PlayStation 4s after all. There was some confusion on this point, not only because the long-awaited localization was revealed at Microsoft's E3 press conference, but because subsequent chatter about it only talked about Xbox One and PC ports. However, website Push Square reports on an episode of the Giant Bombcast in which Xbox head Phil Spencer said, quote, Yes, it will end up on all platforms. The point was to have Sega on our stage before, uh, since it's been a while. End quote. How long it will be before the PS4 version sees the light of day is, of course, another issue entirely. Phantasy Star Online 2 originally came to PC in 2012, Vita in 2013, and PS4 in 2016, but only in Japan. A Switch port came out in 2018, but was also relegated to Japan. The Xbox One and PC ports are due out in North America in spring of 2020. Good guy, Phil Spencer, revealing his own timed exclusive as being a PlayStation game, so that was unexpected. I mean, appreciate the honesty. I don't know, I kind of of assumed that that would be the case. They're they're sitting
2: on PS4 code, they're
1: they're obviously going to use it. I, I, I was... I thought that that was like a thing where they were just trying to be dickheads. Nah. But apparently not. Phil Spencer's not a dickhead. Not Phil, not Phil Spencer himself, but Xbox. Why wouldn't you want to take Fantasy Star or something? I would take as much off of PlayStation as possible, personally. I but maybe it doesn't matter. I wouldn't take Fantasy Star. Yeah, maybe Fantasy. Well, that I, one... Fantasy
2: see, Star is like one of those things it's like, eh, we'll take
1: it, I guess, for like a little bit. That's not... Let's be real. Like, that's not like a huge thing. No, by the time it comes out, it will have been... Eight years, I think, since it came out.
2: I played Fantasy Star Universe Online. Like I think on the Xbox 360, I would go, I would log on every New Year's to see the people who would be on on New Year's to celebrate. Just new to year's? see who yeah. would be, who the hell would be there celebrating a new year on Fantasy Star Universe Online on the Xbox 360. But think and it about was always a fascinating group of people.
1: But take it a step further. You are also online. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so that might make you even worse. There were, there were some sex chats going on there. It was wild. I have no doubt. I have no doubt about that. Also, probably, as we said earlier, people dressing in dog suits looking to fuck other people dressed in dog suits.
2: Oh, man, I was hoping to avoid that for the rest of the podcast, but too, alas. Too bad.
1: Number six, according to Kotaku, Amazon Game Studios let dozens of employees know that they will have 60 days to find a new job internally or they will be laid off. This came alongside the cancellation of several unannounced games. In a comment released to Kotaku, Amazon said, quote, Amazon Game Studios is reorganizing some of our teams to... to I don't know. I, I wrote this. I must have miswrote this because it doesn't make any actual sense. Uh, nonetheless, it was. <laughs> nonetheless, it was. It's this really lengthy. I didn't write all of it either. It's this lengthy nonsense about them reorganizing and moving assets around. It's the same thing you hear every time someone gets laid off. What is that?
2: What, was the, what, is, what do you think that happened behind closed doors to to make this happen?
1: Was this like a- that's, I think that's the problem. Nothing
2: happened. Nothing happened? You don't think it was like, uh, hey, let's get into the console
1: business. Let's try and, let's try and overthrow Xbox and PlayStation. And then well, Stadia
2: came in. And they were like, oh.
1: Well, <laughs> wait. Amazon Game Studios began in 2014, but hasn't done anything of note since launch, even though it hired exceptional talent at the start, talent that has largely since migrated elsewhere. Only one Amazon Game Studios developed game, the Grand Tour Game, based on the Amazon TV show, ever made it to PlayStation 4 earlier this year, running on Amazon's proprietary engine, Lumberyard. The two games mentioned in Amazon's statement, Crucible and New World are both PC games. So basically what their statement said is that they're concentrating on Crucible and New World. I think they're both MMOs. And Amazon Game Studios was founded and was really, I mean, it was attracting incredible talent. It was getting people from all over the place. And they've done jack shit. So it really remains to be seen. They wanted to make an engine. They made one, but it doesn't seem like anyone's using it. And I don't know. I don't know what the future is for Amazon Game Studios. Yeah. It goes to show you that these companies don't belong in everything. Yeah. Number seven, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt has passed a significant sales milestone. According to website Push Square, the game has surpassed a staggering 20 million units sold. As The Witcher 3's title suggests, developer CD Projekt Red also developed two other games in the franchise. However, The Witcher 3's cumulative sales represent more than half of the entire franchise's sell-through. The Witcher 3 initially, uh, initially launched on PS4 and elsewhere in May of 2015. CD Projekt is currently working on Cyberpunk 2077, which is due out, as we said earlier, in 2020.
2: I got to give this game another shot, man. I don't know. I don't know what the hell. I think I, I
1: played it for a little bit and then I just it didn't grab me something. It's very big. It's very deep. Yeah, I liked it a lot. But when I was 40 or 50 hours in, I'm like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, was kind of I could see bit. I could see that. <laughs> Number eight, we almost got to live in a reality where Fortnite never happened or oh. was never released anyway. Word comes by way of Polygon, which relayed an interview from Game Informer with Rod Ferguson, who leads the Xbox-owned studio, The Coalition, the team behind the gear series. Before going to The Coalition, Ferguson worked at Epic Games, the minds behind Fortnite. Indeed, when Microsoft purchased Gears of War from Epic in the early part of 2014, Ferguson kinda sorta went with the IP. Quote, if I had stayed at Epic, I would have canceled Fortnite. Before I left, I had tried to cancel Fortnite. When I was Save the World, that was a project that just had some challenges, and as a director of production at the time, that game would have not passed my bar for something that we should continue to keep going. That game you love, that worldwide sensation would not ha- exist had I stayed at Epic. I wouldn't I I w- I wouldn't have admitted that. I don't me neither. I think that's a, that was a weird one to admit. Yeah. That you uh a lot of people would have uh, people passed on Minecraft. Well, by it's the not way. Even, I mean, there there are stories of pretty much every major publisher passing on Minecraft.
2: Oh, not because it would have been a mistake. It's it's more to me like you could have saved you. You could have saved oh. us, really, because I mean I think it makes him look like completely out of touch. I mean, it also does, but I also like I look at this and I'm like, why? Why couldn't you just try a little harder? It's funny because if I'm, I'm, I'm never- being facetious a little bit, you know, obviously like Fortnite's obviously successful and like there's a lot of people working on it and that's great, but like <laughs> there's a part of me that's just like, ah. Oh. <laughs>
1: No, totally. What could have been? It's funny that, yeah, if Epic never sold Gears because he basically went with Gears to to kind of shepherd that yeah. transfer, then yeah, we, that it's funny that that deal is the reason we have Fortnite today. It's interesting. The butterfly effect. Number nine. On the heels of the recently released Contra Anniversary Collection comes word of a new Contra game, according to website Gamatsu. Publisher Konami is prepping a twin-stick third-person shooter called Contra Rogue Corps, and it's coming to PS4 and elsewhere on September 24th later this year at a double-A price of $39.99. The game will reportedly allow for local co-op in addition to online multiplayer with up to three other players. There will be PvE and PvP options and multiple playable characters, including a panda bear. By the way, you've got to look at the panda bear, the screenshots of the panda bear using like a Gatling gun. Good stuff. Not surprisingly, the version of Contra relies on gear and loot grind systems, and there will be no microtransactions, according to Konami. So they're basically making a loot grind Contra game, which, by the way, kind of makes a lot of sense. Isn't a bad idea. No, that game's all about just like killing things for points anyway. Not a bad idea. Maybe a little late. Not a bad idea. I'm interested to see who's developing it. I haven't been able to figure that are out. Are there, like, visuals of it? Yeah. Out? Oh, like, yeah, is, I told you. There's a screen of the panda bear using a gatling.
2: What does it look like? Is it is it, like, a classic-looking thing, or is it no, more like 2.5D, or what's no, the deal?
1: It's, no, it's a 3D twin-stick shooter, hmm. kind of like Dead Nation, but probably a little little higher quality than hmm. that graphically. Hmm. Yeah. I love twin-stick shooters. Love them. Love them. So... I guess... Uh, I gotta... Some of them are great. Some you know what it are. looks like? It looks like Alien Nation. The house mark game Alienation. Okay. That came out in 2016. That's not bad. Number 10. In case you're sad that E3 2019 is over and can't wait for E3 2020, there's good news. You can already circle the dates on your calendar. As is tradition, the ESA revealed next E3's dates on a banner above the exit from the LA Convention Center on the final day of the show. E3 2020 will run from June 9th through June 11th of next year, which, as always, is a Tuesday through Friday, or Tuesday through Thursday, I'm sorry. With next-gen promising to begin in the fall of 2020, chances are E3 2020 will be a far grander affair than E3 2019. That was always the greatest troll. So for people that have never been to E3, if you go on to E3 on Thursday and then you leave, there's a banner above the exit that has E3's dates for next year. And it was always a joke amongst everyone because it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, all we want to do is get the fuck out of here. And now you're already telling us that there's going to be another one next year at these dates. Yeah. Greatest troll job of, of ever. I loved that. Chris, finally a wrap-up. Number 11. The PlayStation blog reports that the Lord of the Rings adventure card game is PS4 bound on August 8th, that dungeon-crawling RPG Torchlight 2 comes to PS4 on September 3rd, and that hack-and-slash title Conan Chop Chop is also coming to PS4 on September 3rd. That game looks really cool. Publisher NIS America has revealed that strategy RPG Disgaea 4 Complete is coming to PS4 this fall. Disgaea 4 first came to PS3 in 2011 and was later ported to PS Vita in 2014. Website Gamatsu revealed a ton of PlayStation-related news, including the following. MMO RPG Black Desert is coming to PS4 at some point later in 2019. RPG Hero Land is coming to PS4 this fall. Strategy game Empire of Sin is PS4 bound in the spring of 2020. RTS game Commandos 2 HD remaster is coming to PS4 by the end of 2019. RTS game Praetorian's HD remaster is coming to PS4 by the end of 2019. Top-Down Shooter Police Stories is coming to PS4 on September 19th. Action game Trigger Witch is coming to PS4 in 2020. Action RPG Code Vein is coming to PS4 on September 27th. Crafting-based RPG A Ground is coming to PS4 in early 2020. And visual novel One Night Stand is coming to PS4 at some point this summer. And finally, a Dark Crystal strategy RPG called Dark Crystal Age of Resistance Tactics was revealed at Nintendo's E3 press conference and will come to PS4 sometime later this year. The game is naturally based on the classic 1982 film The Dark Crystal and more directly, the Age of Resistance Netflix prequel series. I
2: saw that. That, was, that, that actually looked uh, kind
1: of neat. Looks right up my alley. Yeah. Although that movie is terrifying i've been talking a lot about that movie lately with my brother actually ruben barrett wrote into us on patreon and says hi guys i know this is a playstation podcast but i just wanted to know your thoughts on the dark crystal tactics game it looks like the most colin-centric game ever created and why hasn't there been more dark crystal games well it is a playstation podcast it was revealed at nintendo direct it is coming to ps4 so we're happy to talk about it here for sure looks awesome dark crystal is fucking frightening dude i think that people dig in my brother talks a lot about this like that that movie is really has no joy in it It's really, (laughs) it's very dire. It's really weird. Like it's a children's movie from a different era. There's no way that that movie would ever see the fucking light of day today. No, for sure. And it was also from a weird period in Disney's history where they weren't doing very well. So there's also that. Yeah. Anyway, Ruben, appreciate your input. Chris, lots of games coming out this week. Actually, not that many, but enough. Enough. Def- Let's say enough games are coming out this yeah, week. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's a smorgasbord here for those of you who are looking for
2: something to play, if, as if there wasn't already enough. As tradition demands, Chris, you go first. Alrighty. Another sight comes to PS4. A teenager who has lost her sight, Kit, and a mysterious cat, Hodge. Team up in a surreal fantasy adventure into the unexpected, both together and separately, each using their own unique uh, talents to explore compelling environments and solve intriguing puzzles.
1: Sounds intriguing. So that's a thing. Bloodstained Ritual of the Night comes to PS4. Remember, the Vita version was canceled because they fucking hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Egavania returns, plays Miriam, an orphan scarred by an alchemist's curse which slowly crystallizes her body. To save humanity and herself in the process, she must fight through the castle and defeat the summoner, Gebel. Or Jebel. Actually, it really is because I think I heard his name in the prequel game. Can't fucking wait! Excited? Now I haven't gotten my code yet, apparently they go out tomorrow. Full video review of this coming for sure, maybe a Let's Play, and the trophies are already up and I've tweeted them out. Oh boy. Bring Them Home comes to PS4. Bring Them Home is an
2: exciting puzzle game in which you must rescue little astronauts by being clever and imaginative. Since each astronaut has unique abilities, complex puzzle worlds must be mastered to find a way out. Explore interesting locations, activate and use different mechanisms uh, to bring the brave heroes home.
1: Now, that sounds very realistic because in r- the real world, every astronaut also has unique abilities. One's an astrophysicist. That's one's true. a botanist. <laughs> one's a geologist. One's a Navy pilot. You see, very realistic, very classic. Citizens of Space comes to PS4. Representatives of the Galactic Federation, thank you for having me here tonight to celebrate Earth's acceptance into this noble organization. It is an absolute honor to act as the ambassador of Earth, a most honorable role in. What's that? Earth is missing. Oh, no. This, I think, is the sequel to Citizens of Earth, which was a role playing game that came out a few years ago. I think this is a sequel to it. Well, that's neat. Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled
2: comes to PS4. Crash is back in the driver's seat. Get ready to go fur throttle. I hate that. With Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. It's the authentic CTR experience plus a whole lot more. Now fully remastered and revved up to the max. The stakes are high and the competition is fierce. It's the CTR you love now kicked into the highest gear. Mm. I am
1: screaming on the inside. I have requested a code for you. Hopefully that will come shortly. Crystal Crisis comes to PS4. An all-star cast of heroes has gathered to test their metal in Crystal Crisis, a cute and chaotic new color-matching combat game. Crystal Crisis is presented like a one-on-one fighting game in which players attack by, range, by arranging colorful falling crystals and clearing them from the screen. It's the ultimate puzzle battle throwdown. So it's like Candy Crush, I guess? I guess so.
2: Siberian, the time-traveling warrior, <laughs> comes to PS4 and PS Vita. Get the Sword of Ages, travel to the future and try to try to live long enough to brag about it. Drawing inspiration from old-school platformers, Siberian, the time-traveling warrior, is an arcade title with some beat-em-up gameplay qualities. I think this
1: is another one of those cheap platinum games that I refuse to play. But I could be wrong. It's a shame. Judgment comes to PS4. The much-maligned Judgment. From the team that brought you the Yakuza series comes Judgment, a gritty tale of disgraced attorney Takayuki Yagami in his quest for redemption. Haunted by his past, he takes up arms as a private detective, clawing his way through... What is this? chose underground crime network to investigate a string of grisly murders. Again, remember this is a Yakuza spin-off. This is the one is where the, one the guy with... did a bunch of coke and had to be removed from the game It's interesting
2: that a, this is a game about a dude redeeming himself and they fired the dude It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of awesome <laughs> Leisure Suit Larry wet dreams don't dry Great name mm-hmm. comes to ps4 uh, Larry's new adventure takes him Whatever the route or twist of fate, from the end of the 80s directly into the
1: 21st century, and wow, how, how the world has changed. I'll be interested to see that. The last Leisure Suit Larry was the only game my brother Dagan ever worked on, because he's, he's an animator. He worked on that last oh, one. Oh, how neat. Luna comes to PS4 and PSVR. A bird's peaceful summer slumber is disturbed by the majestic call of a mysterious owl, enticed to swallow the last piece of the waning moon. Why? Bird is blown far away from its golden gate home. Unscramble celestial puzzles and create miniature musical worlds. Luna is an interactive fable about learning by the light of unexpected mistakes. Don't eat the moon. Yeah. It's a lot. It's
2: gross. Mars Alive comes to PSVR. Mars Alive is a survival PSVR game in in the open world. After a terrifying explosion, the whole colony was destroyed. As an astronaut staying on Mars, explore the planet and collect resources to survive in this brutal world. Reveal the truth behind uh, the civilization on this red
1: planet, which is full of mystery and conspiracy. Hmm. Mini Mech Mayhem comes to PSVR. Join your little mech buddy to plan a flawless strategy, then marvel at just how wrong you were. Not to worry, play some power actions to get your team back on track, or dare to trust in your instincts and crafty skills, and pull off a stunning win. Project Lux
2: comes to PSVR. Our story takes place in a court trial set in a futuristic world where most humans have cyber brains. Fair enough. The defendant on trial is an agent who coordinates with artists to create the data for cyber brains to interact with people's emotions. That's a loaded sentence. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, ju- <laughs> the jury has to investigate what really happened by reliving the memory data of the defendant. Sounds kind of neat, I yeah, guess. Yeah, a lot of PSVR stuff. That's a, that's a common sci-fi trope actually
1: yes kind of interesting to see it in a vr game slumball comes to psvr slumball is a physics-based paddle paddle ball game with an objective to collect as many points as possible slumball is a fun way to exercise and gain coordination without even realizing it underworld ascendant comes to ps4 enter the stygian abyss (laughs) a
2: dangerous highly interactive dungeon world mix and match dozens of combat stealth and magic skills to develop your own unique style of play Set out on more than 70 quests,
1: earn rewards, and unlock skills. Become the Ascendant. Mm. And finally, a game I've been long awaiting that I will take the PSVR out for. Vacation Simulator comes to PSVR. Welcome to the Vacation Simulator. A rough approximation of vacation inspired by real human, not jobbing. <laughs> Brought to you by the same robots behind the Job Simulator. Reallocate your bandwidth and get ready to splash more, <laughs> some more snowball, and self your way to optimal relaxation. I absolutely love Job Simulator. So it's a great VR game. It's really, really funny. So I'm really excited about Vacation Sim. That's all the games. Anything here that strikes you, I guess, Crash Team oh, Racing. Obviously, 100 percent. And for me, obviously, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. So this is a good week for Chris and I. Yeah. And if you want a PSVR, there's some options for you as well. Chris, as is our tradition, let's end with eight questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas from the audience. Reader mail. Remember, patreon.com slash Stand to submit your inquiries. Sergio DeVivo wrote in and said, hey, guys, Colin, I've been following you since 2012, and I've seen you falling in and out of love with Final Fantasy. Now, I know you guys touched upon it last episode, but I wanted to go in deeper. Is Square Enix finally righting their wrongs? Is Final Fantasy VII Remake living up to our incredibly high expectations? Almost don't dare to believe it, but their E3 showing was absolutely incredible. What else do they need to do, in your opinion, to exceed our expectations? P.S. Straight as an arrow, but you two make me doubt it. We've (laughs) turned this gentleman gay. Look at that. It is possible. Good for you, Sergio. Appreciate you being honest. Anything. It's like I've said in the past, I think I'm bisexual, but I, I'm not sexually attracted to men. Right. I just think that men can be attractive. So I don't know right. that that's bisexual, but it's something. Yeah, it's something. Yeah, you might as well qualify. It's not straight. I'll say that much. <laughs> you qualify for the for the rainbow flag, I guess. Yeah. Give me a... I'm sure they would love that if I flew the <laughs> rainbow flag. <laughs> Well, because isn't, well, no, Q is queer, but isn't there another Q now that's questioning? What? There's like a really, like LBGTQ, there's like a bunch of other letters now. So Q square? I, I, A, I think, I'm not even making this up. No, yeah. There's a Q at the end, I think, which is questioning. Listen, So I think I actually can fly the flag. All right, yeah, go ahead. But I won't. (laughs) So, Sergio, (sighs) we did talk a little bit about Final Fantasy VII Remake last week, Mm -hmm. and I I don't want to delve too deeply into that again. Just to reiterate, I think it looks phenomenal. And the way that they balance the ATB system that Final Fantasy is so well known for active time battle with these Devil May Cry or this like Ninja Gaiden type mashy combat looks really fun to me. Yeah, it looks appealing to me, honestly. Yeah, and Chris hates role playing games. Although Final Fantasy 7 was one of the few that you actually delved into. Yeah, but
2: I, I do. I, it's the turn based thing. It's like very. There are very few games that do turn based well enough for me to really enjoy, and it looks like... I could definitely get into it as long as there's some element of real-time combat to it. That's why I like Child of Light so much. Because there is, like, an element of, like, real-time to it. It's but, not quite the same way, but...
1: But what, what... I guess... ATB is... Like, Final Fantasy VII is real-time, too. On its own. It's... it's I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But just so people don't jump in, like we said last week, Final Fantasy IV introduced ATB, which is basically a hybrid of turn-based, Dragon Quest-type combat where you can let the screen just stay there forever. Yeah. And nothing happens. Or... Everyone's speed is filling up at a different time and you go as soon as you can so I always I liked that I like that kind of combat because it's not like Dragon Quest where like you can just go through the menus for 20 minutes Like if you you're gonna get fucking wrecked if you don't if you don't move like they're just gonna keep going Yeah, yeah. so I'm curious How the how the combat's gonna balance out because I really I love how you have to earn access to the menu Basically, in the game yeah that's cool as I, think shit. A, I think it's a neat idea like you sure. can't just heal whenever you want you can't just cast a spell you have to earn it and i think that that's a really clever and by the way way more clever than i thought they were going to be in terms of whatever they were going to do oh yeah 100 so i'll say that 100 now sergio in terms of square enix i think that this is a company much like capcom that is experiencing a renaissance right now and a resurgence not only with final fantasy 15 not only with kingdom hearts 3 which people really loved and sold really well but just generally speaking, Octopath Traveler, the Tokyo RPG Factory mm. games—they have all their Western developers publishing great games like Tomb Raider. They're publishing; they used to publish Hitman. So, I think Square Enix is actually—you know—Dragon Quest. I think that they're looking great now. I'm a little confused about Studio Astolia and what was going on with with Baba. I'm a little concerned about Tokyo RPG Factory's next game since the last game they put out was not great. And obviously, the rollout of this next Final Fantasy, right? Of course, is also a confusing point. I'm, I'm at, just. When they start talking about Final Fantasy 16, which is probably going to be next year or the year after when they start talking about it, that's just going to add a whole nother layer of fucking nonsense. But in the meantime, we should enjoy it because I really think Square Enix is looking great. And I think that Capcom is too. Those are the two Japanese publishers that have really turned things around, especially Capcom, actually. Chris, the next inquiry comes from Bart Jakaza, who wrote in and said, hey, CNC, hope you two are well. This question is more so for Chris, since he's so excited for the new Crash Team Racing. Do you think this game has the chance to overthrow Mario Kart 8 Deluxe as the best kart racer on the market? CTR is looking to be fantastic with tons of characters, customization for racers and karts, a proper story mode and more content coming down the line like new characters, including Spyro. Curious to hear your thoughts on how this game is shaping. What does this say? Shape, shape I think it's a mistake. All right, so shaping up to be on the eve of its release, but it says Shape 8 NG2 Up, did I do that? I,
2: I don't know, it might be like a weird, That's that's weird. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that don't,
1: means, Bart. You know that I'm easily confused. You can't be throwing <laughs> shit like that in when I'm reading. Chris, will CTR overtake Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is widely considered the finest kart? Well, racer, let me let way. me just say right
2: off the bat that uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is, isn't even close to the best kart. I think even Team Sonic Racing is better than Mario. Whoa. Kit, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe.
1: By the way, did you see Team? Did you see Sonic the Hedgehog's tweet last week to to Polygon or whatever? No, wait. What? So Polygon put wrote or as kotaku wrote a random story about like why can this person snowboard barefoot but sonic doesn't oh right. and the mario like, and
2: sonic of the olympic games yeah stuff? yeah, and that was
1: what it was yeah and then they were like stop looking at our asking to look at our feet or something like that and it got retweeted <laughs> like fifty thousand times which was like Sonic's, this is why you don't tweet sonic the hedgehog sonic the hedgehog's twitter account is amazing oh my god i'm i am hard i hate sonic and i'm horrified to ever i will never say anything no about never that say again. anything but not on twitter anyway no
2: but yeah, I don't know. I I haven't played it yet really. I played a demo at GameStop, but it's you could tell it was like an older build and the feel wasn't quite right. As far as I am aware, that's a really old build and it's not even close to like what it feels like now. As long as that if if this new CTR is as close to the original CT because the, the controls in that game are impeccable still to this day. It's better than like most kart racers on the market. If it's if it retains that control, then without a doubt, yes. But I can't say for sure
1: if it will, because I haven't played it. We'll see you in a week. But we'll find out. We'll have thoughts, not only on CTR, but on Bloodstain. We're going to have lots of game talk, new game talk. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'm really excited to see what Chris thinks of that one. Ryan Goris wrote in, not to be confused with his distant cousin, Zach Morris. He said, yo, guys. Uh, Chris is shaking. his. Head. Chris is like. That took the wind out of me. I right know. There. Chris is like, needs to go to bed. <laughs> He says, yo, guys, with Xbox announcing the last wave of backwards compatible games on Xbox One, do you think PlayStation will do something similar with the PS5 and release titles and waves or will everything work day one on the PS5? (laughs) That's hilarious. They just figured out how to get your name changed.
2: (laughs) And that doesn't even work properly. You're not going to get every single game that wasn't backwards compatible compatible on PS4 working day one on PS5. I'm sorry. No, there's two different things here.
1: Are we going to get every PS4 game working on PS5 immediately? Yes. Yes. 100%. Absolutely. PS3 games, which is kind of like what the backwards compatible thing on Microsoft is working on right now on their iteration Xbox 360. I don't think so. Uh, I really don't know that it's ever going to happen. I, I got to be honest with I, you. I, 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 We've talked about it, right, Chris? They need to build a PS3 emulator that will run in the back yeah. end of these things, just like PS2 ran a PS1 emulator. And by the way, PS3 also ran a PS1 emulator. And, so,
2: and, and also, by the way, P- the PS3 emulator is like even on even in the PC community one of the most like unstable thing like it's it, for some reason it's it's the architecture of the PS3 the way that thing was designed the way games run and and reference the system requirements of that system is just like really confusing to a lot of PCs there are some emulators uh PS3 emulators that work kind of okay but it, not even close to acceptable to ship on a main console as like a feature you know i saw uncharted running it's like we got uncharted running and it's running at like actually eight frames a second. And it's like, I I mean, you did. The cell is no joke, man. Yeah, I don't don't know what they did, but I I would expect that at some point you will, but like
1: not by launch, not by launch. There's two things, or there are two things that need to happen on PS5 that they need to figure out. The first thing is PS1 games. Now, PS1 classics are currently tethered only to PS3, to Vita, and I think the PSP, although Mm. I don't think you can even access them on PSP anymore, or you can't buy them. You can't buy them. So they need to figure out how to gain access to the PS1 classics library. They don't have to put trophies on them or anything like that, but that's one thing that doesn't run on PS4 for some reason. The other thing that they need to figure out more keenly is PS3. Now, PlayStation now deals with PS3 by streaming, and that might be the only solution because Xbox One is so impressive to me from the perspective of they were able to engineer backwards compatibility into it when it wasn't supposed to be able to be happening. They fix it with firmware. I'm confused. Now, we make fun of Sony's engineers all the time, and maybe rightfully so, but i don't know why they haven't been able to figure out a similar solution and i wonder if they're just holding it now so that on the ps5 they can basically say listen this thing is natively going to read ps4 games natively read the psn from ps4 and it's also natively going to read the ps3 games and ps3's psn as well that would be something that i would hold to my chest until it was time otherwise i just don't think it's actually going to happen so this whole backwards compatible shift with microsoft happened like years ago
2: at this point you know like holding it for like a next gen years ago seems a bit i don't know like if they could do it they probably would have done it just to get a leg yeah, up maybe you
1: know? it's also possible that ps4 and ps5 being so similar in architecture ps4 simply can't run what ps5 is gonna be able to run and so maybe they have a solution but it simply can't work in this machine. maybe that's also possible you know i, I don't
0: we'll yeah, see I, I don't we'll know. see
1: i'm i would temper your expectations do not expect backwards compatible. but
2: by the way if they announce it, you can be surprised. You can yeah. be pleasantly surprised. But, Very pleasant surprise. But
1: <laughs> keep keep expectations real. They figured out PS2. Like there's a ton of PS2 games on PS4 that even have trophies. So that's all solved. That's yeah. And then the PS3, you know, PS4 games on now are now being downloadable to your console. So that's another thing that's, that's solved. Good. So they're they're getting there. But
2: it's so weird that one and three. Yeah, one and are three just not work. accessible. Yeah, it's don't. the
1: weirdest thing. Why is two? available but not one what, yeah, what, two what works is that? for that's two works for some reason baffling and there's and by the way it's not only sony that's releasing their games on ps2 other third parties especially rockstar have released all of their games on ps2 ps2 games on ps4 if with trophies if they put the ps1 classics on, on on if they put that library on ps4 i would not stop playing it that library was so good we'll see ah i think there's a lot of promise here but i also think sony has to just look at it and see like is this worth our time like is I would really be interested to see Microsoft's really winning with the backwards compatibility movement. I think it's really fucking cool what they've done. But I would also be curious to see the numbers. Like this is a thing that they have to do to bring attention to themselves and, and give their players value. But I also wonder on the back end as anyone play, are, it, like Too Human was the big game that was making rounds because yeah, the most recent one that was so shocking, right? <laughs> so for people that don't know, Too Human is this old Silicon Knights game. Terrible. It's really bad. It was supposed to be on PS One and it got pushed all the way to Xbox 360. It was originally supposed to be a trilogy, and then the first one didn't sell, and anyway, uh, it all went away, and Silicon Knights got sued and all, by Epic. It was this whole disaster. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Two Human came out, and I would love to see Microsoft's back end. It's like, any, who the fuck is playing Two Human on the Xbox One? I'm sure people are, for some reason. Well, if you're on Xbox One, they, 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 they did
2: recently, like, uh, they also did the, the entire Splinter Cell trilogy as backwards compatible, too, which is awesome. But I, think, I, th- I don't think it's necessarily, like, let's get eyes on us thing, or, like, that... I don't think it's necessarily a feature that matters to, like, a lot of people, but it's. I think it's the general principle of if you invest in Xbox, you have your entire library available to you. Just because a new system comes out or just because that hardware is outdated doesn't mean you lose the ability to play that shit, which is, I think, the strength of PC. You bought a... If you buy a game... You bought a game on PC in 2007, you still have it, you can still play it. It's still operable with a lot of people still playing it. And
1: I think that's the draw of it. I agree. So... Tyler Green, Chris, wrote in. Said, hey, Colin and Chris, with Microsoft playing nice with both Sony and Nintendo, along with them moving into streaming with xCloud, do you see Xbox eventually becoming more of an online platform than a console? If this is the case, could we see Xbox stuff on PlayStation? Consumers could pay for the Game Pass and xCloud services, but have the option to play on Sony's console. Thank you both for your hard work each week. I said last week, Chris, I'll be interested to hear what your input is in a little bit more detail, but I think this is kind of the inevitable future for Microsoft or for Xbox, and I don't think that they really even care. I think that eventually, I said it before, I said it last week, I think you're, I really do feel confident that you will eventually see Xbox games on PlayStation. I don't know if that's going to happen in the next few years, but I think that that's in the future, that's in the cards. And, you know, like I said last week, I think too, these conversations at Microsoft, at least years ago, have happened. Mm-hmm. Now, whether they got anywhere or anything like that, I only heard it with Master Chief Collection. This was when I was still at IGN. Yeah. But these conversations have happened. And I think that it shows that Microsoft is open minded enough to see where their bread would be most buttered, if that makes any sense. Like yeah. like, if, like, It's Xbox, always in
2: software anyway. Like for yeah. all these companies, it's always software that's making the bulk of the money. So it makes sense yeah. to have that software as readily available as as
1: possible to as many people as possible. It's a risk if they don't see because... The 30% cut that you get on every game sold on your hardware is incredible amount of revenue coming in, right? Mm-hmm. For people that don't know, if you sell Game X on PlayStation 4, Sony gets 30%. It doesn't matter if you're Ubisoft. It doesn't matter if you're me. Well, right? that's why you have it on the Xbox and on PC through the ex- that Xbox app that they have. Right, exactly. That's exactly, that's why. So they have to circumvent it. But I am, but what I'm saying is, is that I'm concerned about their ability to lose, for Xbox to lose the revenue from their own 30% cuts by getting rid of hardware. That's the thing that they have to balance out because mm-hmm. they can go all in on their first-party games and their second-party games, sell them everywhere. They make lots of money there, but if they don't have hardware, then all of the third-party money goes to Nintendo and all the third-party money goes to PlayStation yeah, and none think, of it goes to them. I think... I don't know. I think we're still going to have Xbox consoles for a while, honestly.
2: I just think they're going to be less of a focus and they're going to be more of like, a hey, you can play it on this thing and it's probably the best place to play this specific thing. But ultimately... If you have a PC
1: that you can run it on, you're still in our ecosystem anyway. So why? Who cares? You know, they're much more flexible. I would love to see how inflexible they'd be if they won this generation that I would love to see that alternate Mm. reality. I'd love to see the companies in totally opposite places and just see what they're doing right now, you know? Yeah, because I don't think you would have seen this heavy push of ubiquity of cross play of all those kinds of things with Microsoft. I just don't think you would have. Why? Why would you have done that? No, definitely not. If they had sold 100 million Xbox ones. Then so I'd love to see. Like, I really think Sony would be in much worse shape, actually, in second place than Microsoft is.
2: Oh, yeah, because they have more hands in more places anyway. Like nope. even since like 2006,
1: they've been in the PC space. And they're also just incredibly annoying as well. <laughs> Sam Christensen wrote in and said, greetings, guys, from rainy Glasgow, Scotland. Long time. First time. I wanted to write in after listening to your con- conversation briefly in episode 50 about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I've seen many call it one of the best AC games, but for me, it was far too bloated, much more in line with the anecdotal evidence Colin was talking about last week. To progress in the story, you would have to level up significantly in between main quests by doing repetitive story missions that put a halt on the flow of the story or by buying a permanent XP booster on the in-game store. This is where my major problem lies with the game. I've been a fan of AC since the beginning, and I've always gotten to the end of the story in every game up until Odyssey, where I just couldn't continue after 25 hours. My question is, should I expect that this is now the trajectory of AC going forward and that I need to get used to it? Or is there something still to be said about more concise, faster paced storylines where the side missions are optional? Extra is not essential to progressing through the story. Keep up the amazing work and thanks for making my commutes enjoyable. So, Chris, this is something we talked about, actually, a while back. Well, we talked about this last week in the sense that I heard that Assassin's Creed Odyssey is too big. Now, I got a lot of people writing to me saying, that's true. Now, we got another guy writing to us saying that that is true for him as well. But how do you feel about Odyssey flipping the script on people a little bit? See, I would be a little frustrated about that if I was an Assassin's Creed fan, because old Assassin's Creed games, you know, I platinumed AC2, I played a bunch, you know, not a bunch, but a few other AC games, seem like they're manageable within 20 to 30 hours. And that seems... to- But then they suddenly went mass open world, and Odyssey's huge and. They're selling a bunch of shit to make it shorter. What do you think they where do you think they go from here? Because I think they keep doing this because it seems to me that regardless of these problems that this Assassin's Creed game Odyssey is the best received Assassin's Creed game. No, two probably. Yeah,
2: sorry, you're gonna have to get used to this. Yeah, this this is like the most positive buzz that AC has ever had, even with this negative attention, you know, even with this whole even with that whole loot box thing that happened, like the whole experience bonus thing. Even when that was like a big thing, it still wasn't nearly as big as anything that was happening to like EA at the time, <laughs> you know? So like, yeah, I think this is the probably the roadmap for a future AC game. So uh, I don't know.
1: I would assume so. Although you'll probably get fewer of them, which is good. That's true.
2: Because that team is working on, uh, what is it? Gods and monsters now?
1: I think some of them are. It's, it's unclear. I don't understand how Ubisoft's ecosystem works. It's They're, confusing. They, they have some studios that like massive and, and stuff that are like, external, and we know them. They they make the division, for instance. But I don't know how, like, the Ubisoft titled companies are integrated with each other. Sometimes you see, like, Ubisoft Toronto, Ubisoft Montreal, and then, like, they're all... So, I don't know. I don't want to say for sure. But I will say that Assassin's Creed Odyssey sold extra- exceptionally well. There's a lot of content in it, which is... a turn off to some people, but to other people, it's a huge turn on. And we talked about it last week, Chris, but their story... There are the thing they released at E3, the free story mode update where you can make your own stories with your oh, own. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can go on PC and like make your own branching dialogue and put them on the map and stuff. That's fucking cool as shit. It is. really That, cool. that is one of the coolest user generated content integrations I've ever seen. And user generated content's not new. In fact, the infamous franchise is one of the first console games that really went down that rabbit hole. And it was so simplistic compared to this game. Yeah. So I thought that that was a really I wouldn't do it. But I think it's really cool <laughs> that people can do no, it's that. That's a cool option that you go on PC. You have all they show you. It's like game maker. The literal branching narratives. Yeah. And that looks cool. It's incredibly unnecessary, but I like it. Adam Bays wrote in and said, what is the difference between Microsoft announced cloud gaming in which your system can be the server and Sony remote play? Watching that announcement and the praise it was getting for its future focus. I was wondering why this is different than remote play, which has existed since PS4 launch and works quite well, allowing new to new. Allowing new, I don't know what that means, to play and stream my PS4 to my Vita and now iPhones. I got you. What are you saying? This is fucking completely illiterate, Adam. <laughs> I got you nasty be able to ASF to more devices and not use your console as host. But that is basically PS now. Yeah, I have no idea. I think Sony obviously needs to reduce monthly costs for PS now, but the functionality is already there and remote play costs nothing. Adam, Adam, <laughs> I love you. We've read your questions before. I recognize your name. We need proper punctuation and grammar in these things. We all understand each other. Now, I should have read it. It just short circuits me after a while. Like, yeah, I'm you? like, I don't know like, what I'm doing. Ah, is it me? Because usually I, what I do when I grab questions is I just go through and I quickly scan them and I'm like, this looks like something we want to talk about. This looks like something. Right, it right. usually works out. Adam, you're making me second guess everything. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what the difference is other than it just seems like Cloud is, well, uh, remote play is not cloud gaming. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the major difference. They're just two different technologies. Yeah,
2: the, my assumption is that your Xbox is now a server that's linked to other things to, that kind of like uses power from a, like the, the whole thing. It's like it's almost like a node kind of, whereas, you know, PS Now is also it's just kind of like streaming from one device to another, which is also possible on Xbox and has been for a while. You could stream, I think, your Xbox One games to your PC or like vice versa. And it's like, no, I don't use it because it's it's got the same problems that remote play does. It's like it barely works on my Internet connection. But I think the the reason why you're seeing a lot of praise for this specifically is because it's, it's being talked about in the context of Google Stadia being a part of the conversation. Mm. Like if they just talked about this like five years ago, people would have been like, all right, neat, I guess. But because it's I think it's being viewed in a more of a, a competitive lens now,
1: which is always kind of neat. I think so, too. Hey, kids, do you like latency? <laughs> we'll see. Two more questions. Adrian Garcia wrote in and said, Hey, Chris and Colin, hope you gentlemen are well. First time writer, and I used to be a patron but stopped for a while, but I am back. Welcome back, Adrian. I hope your voyage, wherever else you went, was enjoyable. Colin had mentioned that Tales of Arise didn't look like a Tales game, and that is what I thought too. And this is because the character designer for most of the Tales games, Kuzuke Fujishima, Isn't part of the game. Instead, there is someone from the God Eater franchise, which I think the game looks more like. This isn't new though, since Tales of Legendia didn't have Fujishima, and that game also didn't look like a Tales game to me. My question is how much does it affect the enjoyment or anticipation of a game where the art style changes, if it does at all? As far as Tales is concerned, we'll talk about other games, but as far as Tales is concerned, it turns me off a little bit, but I'm way more turned off by the direction this series has been taking away from traditional Tales and more towards like an open world. Art, I don't understand. Like Berseria and Zesteria, just didn't do it for me. So yeah. I'm a little more concerned about that than the art. But Chris, has art changes or art styles ever negatively or positively, I guess, affected your... Oh, 100 percent. Yeah,
2: I, I think uh, when you're when you're dealing with uh, franchises or game series that have like a certain iconography or like that have like a certain iconic look to them, it, it does bother me when shit changes for no for what seems to be no reason. It, it'd be like if you were watching. Like, what they did to Crash Bandicoot in the mid-2000s was insanely unforgivable. They gave him tribal tattoos and, like, a mohawk. He looked like a kid out with the high school. It was so insane. Like, like, why would you do that? That's so stupid. And, like, Spyro, when they made him a Skylander and they scrunched his face up and he looked like a disgusting animal. You know what I mean? It's a huge... I don't know. Maybe it's, like, a really petty thing, but I think it's, like, a huge deal to... Halo did the same thing when they changed the way everything looked for no reason. It's like, why would you change the look of such an iconic thing?
1: Yeah, I It's think baffling.
2: To... Like, imagine yeah. if you were watching the original Star Wars trilogy and the third movie, Darth Vader looks like Kylo Ren for no reason. Like, literally no explanation is given. It's like, what?
1: The last design was so much cooler. Why'd you do that? It's weird because Mega Man 11 was, is probably the most recent example of this for me, where it's 2.5D, so it's obviously going to look different than the 8-bit games, but... It just didn't look right, and so it didn't feel right, and so it didn't play right, and so it didn't sound right, yeah, it and just, it, it the, just all devolved. The art of a game
2: is like the only thing that's constantly engaging you, like consistently. It, when you're in a cutscene, the gameplay is not, is not engaging you. When you're in a, a, a point in the game when there's no music, the soundtrack's not engaging you, but you're always seeing art of the game. So if it looks consistently off 100% of the time, it's going to affect your enjoyment of it, and it, it totally does for me. Maybe that's just like a weird nitpick that I'm obsessed with
1: that a lot of people aren't, but it—I it, don't know. To me, it's a huge deal. Well, I mean, it just goes to show you, Chris, like what we know and what we don't know, and what strikes us when we see games. Because when that game was announced, I didn't. We were sitting right next to each other. I had no idea it was a Tales game, and yeah. I've played every Tales game, so that—that yeah. that certainly goes to show you that something is lost in translation there. But that's what they had to do, I guess. I, I guess maybe that guy we have Kosuke Fujishima who I'm not familiar with, but I guess I'm familiar, very familiar with his work. Maybe he went with Baba when they left? I don't know. Just just don't fuck with great designs is what is all I'm saying.
2: You know, like I think Spyro proved pretty well that like classic designs just with a modern resolution and a, and a modern, you know, code of like tech around it looks great still. Crash still looks great still. CTR looks beautiful. And they, they changed basically nothing about it. Everything's the same. Just more detail. That's it. Very weird though. To
1: I agree to just change the art because it took me right out of it. Yeah, especially uh, if it's an iconic thing like Tails or like or anything. Yeah. like I'm a huge Tails fan and I, I I I'll play it, but it doesn't. It look that to me, Tails of Arise looks very generic now. Tails always had a really popping, colorful, zany art style with these really over the top characters, and maybe they'll be in there still, but that certainly diminishes. It just looks like fucking every other. Role-playing game now, which Tails had its own kind of thing going yeah. on.
2: Yeah. Everything that a game is kind of like the tone that you get, the feeling that you get when you when you play a game is is a combination of a lot of things put together and, and art is a huge deal as far as that
1: goes. Phil Crone has the final inquiry, Chris. He says, Hey guys, now that we know the vast majority of the 2019 release calendar, let's handicap the game of the year discussion. It feels to me like the major Game of the Year awards will shape up to be between Sekiro and Death Stranding, with Doom Eternal, Borderlands 3, and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, perhaps picking up some support. Not bad, but I must admit I'm underwhelmed compared to 17 and 18. Anything else worth keeping an eye on? And does anyone else feel like this is a year where an indie can come out of nowhere and take support? Well, yes, because Felsiel Arbiter's Mark is the Game of the Year. Chris, what do you think about what do you how let's handicap it? I guess what do you think will be the game of the year, yeah. considering what we've played so far and what's still to come? So I guess some of the big ones: Resident Evil Two would be Crackdown there. Three, Crackdown Three, of <laughs> course. But we have Resident Evil Two, we have Sekiro, yeah, we have later on Borderlands, like you said, Star Wars, Doom Death Stranding, Doom Eternal. And we have, like, Metro Exodus. We have Rage 2, Modern I guess. Warfare could possibly be a huge surprise. Modern I've been hearing Warfare. a lot of, like,
2: pretty good things about it, honestly, which is shocking. I gotta um, say, dude, though, out of the games that he listed, I think Doom Eternal is going to be the best one. I think it's... It, for me, it's... Uh, I haven't played Doom Eternal yet. I'm anticipating that it's it's going to be a new religion for me. <laughs> but as it stands right now, I think I think Sekiro is really strong, man. Like, I, I, I really love... The feeling that I got when I played that game. So I, I, I think it, predicting based on what I know now, I'm going to say it's it's probably Sekiro for me. Obviously, we're halfway through the year, so that means nothing. <laughs> but I'm pumped beyond belief for Doom Eternal,
1: and yeah, I think that that's,
2: that that could that's the one that could possibly usurp it for me.
1: All of these, I mean, I would also throw in Bloodstain for me. Mm-hmm. Shovel Knights, King of Cards would be in that mix probably for me. So I'm I'm just a different. I mean, gamer. fuck, maybe Crash Team Racing. I don't know. Yeah, CTR could that be, could in be amazing. But out of the big ones, I think that Phil is forgetting Resident Evil 2. Uh, Resident Evil 2, with the ex- I didn't beat it. It's because it came out so early. Yeah. like that's just the problem with coming out so early is that people just forget about you. That's true. Sekiro came out kind of early, too. Mm-hmm. Death Stranding, I still don't believe is really going to come out this year, but I guess it probably will. By the way, it should, we should note that there are rumors emerging that The Last of Us Part 2 is, is slated for February. These stories all are basically just citing each other, so it's just one major fucking circle, which yeah, is what game journalism loop. is. So... I don't know if that's true or not, but if that's true, then Death Stranding can't be pushed. So that's important to note as well. Yeah. But yeah, Doom Eternal looks great. Borderlands 3 looks fucking awesome. Yeah, I'm excited about that one too. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order looks great. You know, I've heard good. I've heard. So I've heard, I heard that there's like a fog of war
2: in in that game. So it's like a, an open world kind of Metroidvania almost. Really? Which is neat.
1: Cool. That sounds cool. That sounds cool as shit. You know yeah. how I feel about Metroidvanias. I'm, I'm down with it. You know how I feel about it. Chris, that's all I have for this week. That's a good, uh, that's a good little hefty bit of meat that we got here. Oh, I love, I have, speaking of hefty bags of meat, is that what you said? Yeah. No, you didn't I, say hefty uh, bag of meat.
2: I said something like that. I
1: don't know. I don't even remember what I said like a minute ago, to be honest. The people who dress up in dog outfits. Oh, yeah. Often have hefty bags of meat, which they share with other people in dog outfits. Oh, man. So, just what do you th- think about that today? I probably won't be able to stop now. Yeah, please. Thank you. <laughs> Chris, appreciate your time. Of course. As we are over the hill now, episode 50, we're now working. E3 is done, and we're almost on, what, 52 now, almost? Yeah, almost 52, which will be one year. That'd be crazy. So next year is technically the year anniversary of the show. Look at that. Because we've never missed a week. And unless one of us is dead, I assume we never will miss a week. Probably not. Remember, you can get the show three days early and ad-free by going to patreon.com slash stand. That's also how you submit questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to the show. It supports my other shows as well. We cannot do it without you. Thank you so much for the love, kindness, and support you show us there as well. If you listen on free feeds, please continue to do so. We love our freeloading audience as well. Tell your <laughs> friends, family, et cetera, about our show. You can buy merch at tinyurl.com sacredshirts sacred shirts. We'll have more merch soon. That's in the works as well. Awesome. Chris, do you have any final comments? I'm, I'm starving, honestly. Mm-hmm. I'm dying. Well, Chris is going to die, so we're going to let him go. <laughs> we'll see you all next week. Thank you for your love. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Colin's Last Stand, LLC, and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at No Taxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at ChrisRGun and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gun. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Collins Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Carlos Algarit, CJ Anderson, Morgan Ashley, Taylor Barkley, Sean Battershall, Martin Beck, Eric Bishop, Mark Boggio, Eli Blosford, Michael Josiah Borison, Barrett Boswell, Daniel Boyer, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Jimmy Brown, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Dylan Burns, Chris Buster. Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Tom Cargill, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Ryan Caulfield, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Gio Corsi, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Mitchell Durkash, Zachary Douglas, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Martha Emery, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Fotios Frangos, Michael Gallier, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa L. Ricey, Josh Yeager, John Jameson, Jimmy Jolakure, Joshua Johnson Greg Julius, Anton K., Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lassiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lewin Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Michael Martinez, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Joe McPartlin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Middling, Alex Mones, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George A. Nunez, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Parsons, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Enrique Perez, Nicholas Perfect, James Perone, Jason Pettit, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Andrew Ramos, Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Toby D. Schneider, Austin Riley, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Scholes, Michael Shanholtz, Brandon Sharkey, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, Daniel Streicharsk, John Tebanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley, Jacob Turnbaugh, Phil Van Raal, Raymond Vargas, Michael Vecchio, Justin Wagaman, Oakley Waldron, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike, Wayne, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Homeworld Hub, Throw Seven, Infinite, Organic Produce, MadMock Media, Fabian Mubarak, Richter eighty six, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Chris, donk twenty fifteen, and Gavin.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find